tries to lose his fight Try my best, it just don't get it right Where I talk a talk that I don't want Miss the moments right before my eyes Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped Somebody with a hand that I could have helped When I just can't see past myself Lord, let me be a little more like mercy A little more like grace A little more like kindness Goodness, love and faith A little more like patience A little more like peace A little more like Jesus A little less like me Yeah, there's no denying I have changed I've been saved from who I used to be But even at my best, I must confess, I still need help the way the way you see. Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped, somebody with a hand that I could have held. When I just can't see past myself, Lord, help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness. Love and faith, a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. But a faith of beggar on the street, love your hands and your feet, freely give what I receive, Lord, help me be. Put your breath above all else, love my neighbor as myself. In the a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, love and faith, a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Old Jeff has been going, he works over the food line, so he sees the building that's being built. And uh, all day. And uh, he brought me a bolt, so if that building falls down, <laughs> he, gave, he gave it to me to, to, to remind me on what God is doing. There's a spare bolt out there on the ground, actually. Underneath your <laughs> yeah. Luke 14, verses 25 through, 20 through 35, it is a message entitled, Calculating the Cost. And you know, when you think about discipleship and you think about what it means to be a disciple and what it involves, 
there are some things that we as individuals must take in consideration when we decide to follow Christ. The great news is God doesn't look for those who are equipped. He equips those who are willing to follow him. And, you know, regardless of your talents and regardless of your skills and your, your mind's thinking of who you are, it's, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about what God can do through you and me. And calculating the cost will involve you and I looking at the whole picture and making a decision, is Jesus really worth me following or is he not? And I think that everyone will conclude in this room that he is. And yet it takes commitment and it takes dedication in serving him every day of our life. In Luke chapter 14, in verses 25 through 35, Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And that's probably one of the most difficult statements that Jesus has ever made in the New Testament. And it's one that which in interpretation grips us and we sets us back and we say, is he really wanting me to hate someone? I thought it's all about love. Now we'll give explanation of that in just a moment. For which of you wanting to build a tower does not sit down and calculate the cost to see if he is enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation he asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Anyone who hears, has ears to hear, should listen. Now, this text this morning mentions two words, and one of importance is the word disciple. The second word of importance is that of cost, and yet both are there to clarify to our understanding this morning regarding what it means to calculate the cost when it comes to following Christ. I first like to share as a person of, as you are and I are now, a person of 2023, as we move into this year and still enjoying all that's before us, that we understand and try to define what it means to be a disciple. It was Dr. Keith Phillips in a very insightful author who wrote a book called The Making of a Disciple, a very powerful and inward-searching book. It's a book that probably only has about 100 to 120 pages in the book, and the book has big print. So it reads very fast, and you're flipping through chapters very quickly, and as you do, it captivates you on calculating for your own self what it means to be a disciple. 
What led him to the direction of teaching disciples was from his own personal life. He shares his testimony of how he almost was embittered about the gospel because he thought it wasn't working in people's lives. At age 16, Keith Phillips led the Los Angeles Youth for Christ Clubs, huge city. At age 21, he led 300 college volunteers in weekly Bible clubs all throughout the Los Angeles area. At age 24, he became president of the World Impact, an evangelical group who could count thousands of decisions for Christ a year, preaching and teaching and sharing Christ and seeing the loss come to know Christ. At age 25, he almost quit. Dr. Keith Phillips recalls teenagers who had learned of Christ as children and as, as early, early teens, as he went around back to circle around to their environments and their places, they, he noticed that the very ones who had received Christ in the Los Angeles area were the pimps, the prostitutes, and the pushers. The very ones he shared Christ with were now the ones who were in the streets killing innocent children. He felt that he had shared all that he had shared and it didn't work. And he became embittered because he said the gospel didn't seem to work in people's lives. Until through the scriptures, he came to understand the beautiful meaning of being a disciple and understanding the, the, the wherewithal and the, the capabilities that God puts forth through discipleship. He came to apply it this way trying to define what a disciple is. He said, to be a disciple is understanding something, to excite one to become a believer without equipping him or her to lead the Christian life is cruel irresponsibility. And so he was all about seeing the souls come to Christ, but he wasn't about leading them in their studies every day in loving Christ from that point on. So he knew there's two things that had to happen. You had to reach out to someone and watch God grip their heart so they'll be saved. But then you got to go a step further and help them understand the process of living Christ every day. Dr. Phillips helps us to realize a disciple is more than one who identifies with the master teacher. So let me give you a definition of a disciple. Very simple. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is one who expresses union with, likeness, going in the same direction as its teacher. So not only do you see a person come to know Christ, then you've got to move them along so that they become like Christ. Two different things. Back in, in, in 1987, or excuse me, 1981, when I became a Christian, I realized there was one thing. There was letting go of me and accepting Christ. But I'm thankful that I had a pastor who said, Now, Benji, it's one thing to know Christ or come to know Christ. It's another thing to know him from this day forward. And he put me into a little survival kit of study. And I began for six weeks, began to read Scripture and to pray and, and to, to follow all those little details in that book 
listening, listening as I wrote out my prayers, listening as I, I wrote out answers to questions. And, and after six weeks, I was beginning to realize that Christianity wasn't a one-time experience. It was a lifelong journey. And I'm thankful that someone saw that in my early years that helped me to get where I am today. So a disciple is saying, I, want, I love Christ, but I want to be like him. I want to follow him. I want to do as Christ did. I want to be his imitation. I want to be his duplicate. And so a disciple is one who's committed to going in the same direction as the teacher, duplicating everything they understand in the teacher and being the likeness of that teacher. And that teacher we're speaking about is Christ. So what does discipleship mean if a disciple is a follower and a learner? What is discipleship? Well, discipleship, it is getting to the point of what Christ is. It is getting to the point in our life of what Christ is, and it means to be that duplicate. Now, I'm mesmerized if I open the Scripture and I learn something new. I'm mesmerized that God would even be in my life when I do something wrong. I'm mesmerized that that God's grace is sustainable, that gives me strength when I'm weak, that gives me direction when I'm lost, that gives me hope when I find myself discouraged. And it mesmerizes me that God would do all those things for me in my everyday life. But yet, I wonder why that is, and it's because he, he loves me so much and he loves you so much that he refuses to leave you right where you are. He wants you and I to become more and more like him, to duplicate him in everyday adventures in life. And discipleship is about that duplication process. You see, the word disciple is used 77 times in the Gospels referring to following Christ. So a disciple is a person who belongs to Christ and is heading and aiming and following the same direction, the same will of God that he has set forth for our lives. Dawson Trotman, the founder of Navigators, described disciple and discipleship. He said, I believe disciple-making is the army of soldiers dedicated to Christ who believe not only that he is God, but that he can fulfill every promise that he has ever made and that there is nothing in this world that's too hard for God to accomplish. Discipleship is not a communication of knowledge and it's not about information digestion. It is about the communication of life. Discipleship is more than getting to know what the teacher knows. It is getting to the point of what that teacher is. And it's understanding that why Christ did certain things for people, we get under his skin so that we begin to do the same thing that Christ would do. It is going further than the, the furthest mile. It's giving more than just what's on our back. It's doing more than we need to do. It is sharing and talking, instructing. It is the creation of a duplicate in everyday life. In Luke 14, when Jesus shares about counting the cost, he really meant a serious, intentional look at oneself and taking a calculation of that commitment to him. 
And so when Jesus says to hate your father and mother and brother and sisters and wives, Jesus is not talking about hating anybody. He's talking about loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving him above all else. And if need be, be willing to sacrifice what you've got to sacrifice in order to do what God has called you to do. Jesus was once again surrounded by a crowd, pressed from all sides, and yet the crowd was listening to every instruction. Jesus just left the Pharisees' house and much of the warning given to them about their religious life. Now, Jesus says, I want to talk to you not about religiosity. I want to talk to you about what commitment is. I want to talk to you about what it means for you to follow me. I want you to be committed to me. I want you to be committed to my cause, get committed to my purpose, committed to my way. I want you to help me turn this world upside down. I want you to help me to reach people and not only reach them, but to teach them to, to, to work on becoming duplicates over and over and over again. You could go out and win thousands to Christ. I know that with your testimony, with your charisma, with your talking with them, with your persuasion. But you know, it would be, it, it's amazing that you can win thousands of Christ. But if you do the, the math of dupl duplication, the growing of the kingdom can happen faster through duplication than it can winning souls one at a time. Now, what do I mean? When you and I win one person to Christ and then leave them alone, we don't know what's going to happen. But if we win one person to Christ and we're committed to helping them to become a fully developed follower of Christ, that one is going to become two, that two is going to become four, that four is going to become eight, eight is going to become 16, 16 is become 32, 32 is going to become 64, 64 is going to become, I can't go any higher. You see what I'm saying? The duplication process will take effect. And what you'll have is you would, you would rather have one who sold out for God and duplicating God than one who says, I know him. You want someone who's, who's duplicating their life into someone else and that those two people then reach out and before long they have four and those four eventually have eight and those eight. And, and you, look, you look at the longevity of that process of discipleship and you can grow the kingdom faster and more fully when you focus on duplication than just winning lost souls. So let's look at the true conditions of discipleship based on what Jesus said. The question Jesus must have been asking is a question that must be asked of us. Could he count on us to be true disciples? Could he count on them to be true disciples? In verse 26, in verse 27, in verse 33 are the three conditions that specified when we are not uh, following what we need to follow and where we conclude we've got to make a decision, am I going to be a disciple or am I not? So we look at these three conditions and it helps us to make the decision, yes, I want to be a disciple. Number one is this, to love less in order to love more. And that's what the difficult statement is all about. Jesus says, you got to love those in your life a little bit less in order to love me a little bit more. You must love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, I'm not saying to, to hate anybody. I'm just saying that you, you can't elevate anybody else in your life more in love than you can elevate me. And if you're committed, committed to me and as a disciple of mine, you're going to love me more than anything else in your life. So you may have to learn to love less in order to love more.
Maybe the reason Jesus used such vivid language here is that he knew that he was on the way to the cross and he wanted loyalty. He wanted people over anything else and he wanted sacrifice to the dearest things of life and he wanted a readiness to suffer for his name's sake, to go the distance and to stand in there and be tough and and to do the ministry that they're called to do. Remember what Jesus shared here is the cost of discipleship. Hating the dearest ones to us does not mean to take him literally. What it means is a disciple and a follower and a student, one who is the same way as the one whose love in life cannot compare to the love that we must have for him. We must come through with sacrifice. We must come through with suffering. We must come through with loyalty. You see, the Hebrew idiom says to love one thing and hate the other means to love one more than you love the other. So what do you love more in your life? That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to love me, he says, more than anything else. I want you to love me with all your being, with all your might, with all your strength. Love me with every totality of who you are. So the person who comes out publicly to follow Christ, that follower says, must be willing to say, that, that Christ means more to me than any relative of my life. And I own my life. My life is owned by God. And because of that ownership, all the relationships that flow are going to be reflected in that love as I love my wife and as I love my children, as I love my neighbors, as I love my friends, and I love them because of the love of God in me. A second condition As he says in verse 27, you must bear the one's cross. So you must bear the cross. Crosses today does not have the impact as it did in Jesus' day because you just don't normally see people carrying a cross walking down the road, nor do you see when people are dying, they're nailed to a cross. And yet in their culture, their way of killing someone was through the cruelty of a cross. A criminal would be sentenced to a cross and to a cruel death. And so to use the language to bear the cross, it was putting an image in their minds of carrying the weight of something very heavy, carrying the burden of something that could sustain them, that could mark them for the rest of their life. And so he challenges them to bear the cross. The cross, of course, was the symbol of suffering and the symbol of death, and yet one continually yields his or her will to Christ no matter the hardship, no matter the loss that is involved. There comes a time when we have to align our will with God's will. When we realize that God's will is more important and we give up ours, and therefore it's not that we have to say, okay, I'm going to fit my will into his. It's basically surrender of our will that dies so that his will comes alive and we surrender that and we align ourselves to his will. So in bearing the cross, sometimes it can become very painful because we may have to give up something in our life in order to be aligned with his purpose and his plan for each of our lives. So in submission to his will, the bearing of the cross, it may become a heavy carry. The heaviness of that cross, the bearing may become very difficult. 
It may have hardship. It may have encounters with people who speak harsh to you, who literally hate you, who therefore you carry a heavy, burdensome task. But in bearing the cross, whether it's painful or heavy, we must know the next step is to love after him, follow him. Taking our eyes off of him will lead us into a hopeless situation. Keeping our eyes on him will keep us in hopeful expectation of his work in our life. So a true disciple is one who loves less to love more, is one who's committed to bearing his own cross regardless of how heavy and how difficult that cross will be. And third of all is the condition of a true disciple is to forsake all. In verse 33, this does not mean giving up all possessions and leaving all relatives because he says, you know, one who's not willing to give up his possessions cannot be disciples. It means that your possessions do not control you. Your possession is what not, it's not what gives you life. It's not what gives you meaning. It's not what gives you purpose. And you're willing to give those things up to follow Christ. So that third condition of true discipleship is one who sacrifices and sacrifices for the name of Christ. On September 4th in 1990, Dr. Pedro Green was awarded the Hispanic Heritage Award by President Bush in a special ceremony in the White House. And what qualified Dr. Green for this recognition was that as a young intern just out of medical school, he was assigned to a hospital in Miami, Florida. And while he was there, he witnessed disease. He witnessed violence. He witnessed heartbreak that any inner city hospital would experience. Street people beaten and suffering. He saw exposure. He saw drugs. He saw addictions. He saw all the the worst things an inner city could have. It was not uncommon seeing um, Dr. Green searching out some forgotten person in an abandoned cardboard house or finding someone under uh, the underpasses of bridges who had tuberculosis or AIDS or any other disease. But Dr. Green began a clinic exclusively for the Miami's homeless. And he worked there free of charge, and he took quite literally Jesus' words in Matthew 25, in verses 25, uh, 35, and 36, where he says, I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. You see, Dr. Green gave up this, this beautiful, just paved financial path that he thought would be secure for his family and for the rest of his life. And he gave up all that to do, as Jesus says, to go to someone who was naked and clothed them, to go to someone who was sick and soothed them, to go to someone who was a stranger and give them a place to rest. And he took it literally. And, and even today, that, that, that same clinic exists based on these same principles that he established back in 1990. Dr. Green stands as one who not only is a hearer of the word, but he became the doer of the word because he was committed. He was sold out, and he was able to forsake all, and he sacrificed in order to serve Christ in his everyday world. So a true disciple is one who loves less in order to love more. A true disciple is one who realizes they must bear their own cross. A true disciple is one who sacrifices for Christ's name. But Jesus goes even further in this passage, not only with the conditions of a true disciple, but the idea of counting the cost. He gives us two examples in verses 28 
through 30, he gives us the, the example of counting the cost by using the, the story of the parable of a tower. And the second thing he gives us in verse 31 and 32, he gives us the parable of the battle. He gives us two, two things to think about as he made those strong statements about hating and loving and, and committing and, and calculating the cost. Because in verse 28 through 30, the importance is on an unfinished tower. Whereas in verse 30 and 31, or 31 and 32, the importance is on a, on a defeated army. Never, however, should these verses be interpreted to mean that we must count the cost of discipleship. And if we see we can't meet the cost, we back off and try later. That's not what the interpretation is. Instead, what Jesus brings out is what one man said that he's trying to avoid in relationship as a professor and student. He said one day he was, he was, he was a scholar, was asked by a young man. He said, so, so-and-so tells me that he is one of your students. And the teacher answered, very broken. He may have attended my lectures, but he was never my student. One of the scars that William Churchill says or handicaps, is that there are distant followers of Christ, but yet few real disciples. So you see, Jesus wants finished products. He wants quality, not quantity. He wants success, not failure. He wants disciples, not just church people. Because one man said, if he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. You see, Jesus must, says we must sit down and we must count. The Greek word for count means to calculate. Seriously, deliberately, look at the value. Look at the expense. Look at the cost of what it takes to have the finished product, not the unfinished work, and be committed to that task of seeing it finished. An unfinished life is a half-hearted commitment to Christ that's tragic in God's eyes. But instead, the calculation of discipleship is growth and success spiritually, knowing him more intimately and letting it be known. If he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. So as we as disciples, we take on as to one building a tower, counting the cost of commitment and what it takes to make that which is built attractive. And likened unto that is like one who goes to war must consider not the cost but the hazards and the difficulties. And on the positive influential side, the persevering disciple of the Lord Christ, one who knows his testimony, one willing to share it, one who is a mindful of others and searching and seeking to be the salt of the earth is what one is committed to do. Jesus tells us these three conditions of discipleship, one who loves less in order to love more, one who bears the cross, pain or heavy, that's speaking about service, one who forsakes all is speaking about sacrifice. But knowing these three conditions, are you willing to calculate? Are you willing to evaluate? Are you willing to count the cost of living for Jesus and for following him? But today be encouraged, not discouraged, with the high demands of discipleship. Remember, you are not left alone to fulfill the task that God is calling you to do. He called 
He who called him to the steep road will walk with him every step of the way and be there at the end to meet him. My friend, is your life unfinished? Is your life, does it have an element missing? Are you that disciple of Christ we've talked about? Is the area of your life unfinished? Are you willing to, are you wanting to live in defeat? Are you wanting to live in success? Will you become that disciple committed to following him, sold out for Jesus? You know, you've heard the expression, I've said it before, you know, Christianity is not about fire insurance. Become a Christian just to avoid hell. It's not that. It's being committed that you don't want to see anyone spend their eternity away from God. And being committed to the point that you're sold out for Him, that you'll do whatever it takes. You'll go wherever you got to go. You'll give whatever you got to give. You'll do whatever you got to do to see that next person come to know what you've come to know and to be fully committed and sold out for Jesus, helping someone else do the same. Again, creating the duplicate of the master teacher, which is Jesus. And it may take a lifetime. It may take a lifetime in, in, it may be one person that you work with for the rest of your life. I would rather work with the one person and see them spend their eternity with God in, in heaven than to work with 10,000 and not know if they'll spend their eternity in hell or heaven. And when everyone is sold out, and if every one of us in this very room are committed to one person, we've got 70 people, we could see 140 people saved in the matter of a flash. And that 140 can become 280. And that 280 can become 560. And that 560 become 1,020. You see what happens when you begin to multiply yourselves into someone else? It makes a difference one life at a time. And you'll, you'll see people sold out for him, and they'll be calculating the cost, and they will join you and join him and join everyone else in the process. Being a disciple, being called a disciple is one thing. Being a disciple is another. So what are you committed to? God's waiting. I think he's waiting with great anticipation, rubbing his hands together saying, all right, what are they going to do with this? Are they really going to be sold out for me? Are they really going to become my duplicate Am I going to see all these little Jesuses all over the earth? Are these the people that others are going to look at and say, you're the only Jesus that I've ever seen, and I like what I see and want to be a part of it? Thanks be unto God for giving us the joy of serving him in his kingdom while on earth. Father God, we thank you that you grant to us the joy and the honor of serving you living for you, not only coming to know you, but, but committing our lives to you in, in the everyday process. Just thank you, God, for being the God that you are in the graciousness, in the love, and giving us the, the strength to be able to stand tall in the face of our, the, the crookedness of our life because we now are forgiven by you, that we can stand from the wretchedness and we can stand forgiven and we can stand whole because of your righteousness given to us. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. Thank you for wholeness. 
And thank you for allowing us to live for you and to be sold out for you every day. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. My friend.